Welcome to the McGuire Iron Podcast. My name is Brian Cooper. I'm the Director of Marketing at McGuire Iron and your host for this podcast. At McGuire Iron, we've been helping to store and protect quality water for over 100 years. On this episode, we will discuss water tank cold weather operations, the dangers of ice and your water tank, and best practices to ensure your tank runs properly in the winter months with Jamie Mays of McGuire Iron. To help us learn more about water tank cold weather operations, I'm joined by Jamie Mays. Jamie is the Director of Sales at McGuire Iron, a NACE Level 3 Coatings Inspector, and has been in the water industry for over 20 years, and is a frequent contributor to the podcast. Jamie, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with water tank cold weather operations. When we're talking about cold weather and water tanks, what are we talking about? Well, basically, we're worried about uh, when the cold weather gets moved into the northern climates, how does it affect the water, how does it affect the operations, and what does it do to the water temperature, and what is that reaction to the water tank, and how does that handle it? Why should you operate your tank differently in the winter, or how do you start thinking about that? Well, unfortunately, in the cooler temperatures, we have to look at the tank design, and if your tank design is an elevated tank, and the levels are high in the water, and you're not getting enough turnover in the winter time, you start thinking about, how can I improve water quality and that turnover? over in that water tank. So one of the things you have to think about when you're looking at that is when when do you start thinking about it? In the fall? How do we prepare for it? You start thinking about water usage. Does your water source make a difference as you think about this equation for your winter operations? Well, groundwater typically is in the 50 degree temperatures. So when we start looking at what can that do, and it's a very consistent temperature. So summertime months, you're in the 50s. Wintertime, you're in the 50s. Depending on when your surface water is and where your draws are, some people have the ability to pull that at different levels out of a lake. Um, But technically, when it comes out of the water plant, we should be fairly close to the same operating temperatures depending on how fast it moves through the temp through the water plant. So I think we just take a look at what your water temperatures are going out of the plant or coming out of the wells as far as managing that. And I think another thing that makes a difference is where your tank sits in the system. If it's right next to the water plant versus at the end of the system, that's going to make a difference too. Size, capacity, and location definitely plays a key factor in that. Uh, Many communities will build a water tank out the outskirts of town expecting expansion and growth or industries and then industries come and grow. Now they have more storage than what they can use, um, or they have lines out there that have uh, larger than needed. So we start running into water quality issues that way as well. But yes, if you have a tank that's out on the outskirts of town feeding an industrial plant and then a plant moves and your water usage through that tank uh, changes, now you're into an issue, especially when you have to maintain system pressure. Uh, For fire suppression in maybe that industrial business park, so you can't run the levels very, very low because you have to maintain pressure for the fire suppressions, and now that's why we end up with static water at the top of the water tank. One of the things, though, that is the evil of all water tanks in the wintertime is ice. Absolutely. Uh, Ice, when it starts to move, even at a foot to two foot thick, will rip ladders off the inside of the water tanks, damaging the steel, uh, obviously damage to the coatings, which then can create rust. And obviously you don't want corrosion on the inside of your water tower. Um, So yes, ice can do a lot of very bad things to a water tower. How do I know as an operator of a water tank if my tank has ice in it because I can't see it? 
Well, you start to sense pressure issues if you start to cap over, and that is the biggest thing. Um, so if all of a sudden you're pumping up against a, basically a deadhead pressure and you can't seem to get or you see a changing in the cycling of your pumps, you know that you've capped off the top of your tank. Uh, by that time, it's late. It's extreme. So preventative maintenance side of it is to put in temperature probes. So if you can start monitoring the water temperature inside your water tank and you can slowly start to seeing a decrease and getting cooler, then you know that you're starting to get ice formation around the edges of your water tank in that regards. So you talk about your water tank capping off. What are ways that ice forms in a tank? So when the steel gets cold and it has water water in it, where do you see the ice first? How does it form? What does that look like? It starts around the edges, and I'll, I'll put it to the same thing with a slow-moving creek. When you start to see ice starting to form around the shoreline where the water is thinner and the air temperature is cooler, um, you'll start to see that happening. So cold temperatures on the top of your tank, the ice gets uh, forming on the edges of the steel, steel gets cool, and then it just starts to build and grow from that point. So yes, you'll start a, a ring around the outside of your tank. And you have to be careful of when that ring happens, even if you don't ever completely um, cap over the entire part. If ice accumulation around that edge gets too big, eventually it's going to fall. And then as it falls, it's going to damage the side of the coatings or it can damage something at the bottom of the tank and it can puncture holes, especially when you get into some of those old riveted tanks and things like that. Then all of a sudden that ice can actually create the rivets um, to actually start expanding and contracting. And then you start getting seams that'll start to leak. So, you know, uh, water is one of the very few liquids that actually when frozen will start to expand. So this is why if you have a thin riser pipe as well, you have to be very careful that we don't get ice freezing up in those riser pipes, the fill lines. So say my water tank is capped over. You say I can I can figure that out by just the change in the pressure. But what what can that ice do inside that tank once it's frozen? Once it's frozen and you can't get water through, now you've not allowed the availability for the air from your air vent to go and fill the void when the water goes in and out of your water tank. And eventually that can cause major structural damage to pulling in collapsing roofs. Um, you can then end up with major issues in, in that regard. So you talk about the vent as people know, the vent sits at the top of the tank and its job is when you have a large drawdown in the tank, it lets air in to, to fill that void that the water is leaving. If that vent ices over, what you're saying is it's creating a vacuum. If you had to draw that tank down, it could do some serious damage. Absolutely. And this is, if your screens were to get frozen up on your vent as well and you can't get air in, we have to remember that an overflow is not a vent system. So we have to make sure that our overflow pipes as well as our vents are clean. So frostproof, freeze-proof vents are always key in, in northern climates so they don't have that chance of uh, freezing up. But yes, if we get a cap over there and then air can't come in, then all of a sudden we have an issue if we were to break a line or something like that and the water has to rush out, there's no other way for it to do it but then to either collapse the top of that tank. Which you're also at risk of 
in the winter because that's when a lot of water main breaks also happen because of the cold. It, that is true. And I worry most about some of the glass-lined infused bonded tanks because that steel is so thin. So if those situations happen, it takes a little less pressure for uh, a major catastrophe to happen on those style of tanks. So we talk about the water cap and that it's frozen over. Does your community have water during a tank freeze up? How does that work? Technically, you can, but if you can't get enough water in there to satisfy the needs, then the pump is constantly going. And then that'll create a water hammer and it'll create line breaks and everything else. You have no fire suppression because there's no water movement in there. And so you can have water. It's just not a lot. Um, and it is more damaging and you're going to run the risk of ruining your system. So um, you can't take preventative measures, though, to try to prevent this, you know, to keep water moving inside your water tower. So we talk about that ice cap. So we've talked about that it, it can cause a lot of issues. So the ice cap actually moves. Explain that, because a lot of people I don't think realize that that thing can slide. It can do all kinds of different things in the tank, which then cause really big issues. Well, that's correct. So if you're starting to get that ring around the edges and now your water fluctuates and say you're running a 10 foot drop in your water tower between your fill line and your shutoff. Um, so you start, that ice will run up and down the side of the walls of your tank. It, you can see where the ice can just scrape away. Um, and so it can definitely create a major problem there is some there is ice can do a lot of damage to the steel because as it moves up and down what it's doing is it's rubbing against the coating that's adhered to the steel and that coating isn't really thick and so what you're saying is that ice is sharp it's hard will rub that coating off and then will cause more issues in your tank in corrosion. That's correct. And that's exactly right. Because the average coating, when you say it's put on at three mils, this is equal to the sheet of paper. So if you have a three coat system in there that may be on your tank, you can have 10 mils of paint. Well, 10 mils of paint or basically a couple sheets of paper. And then that hard ice rubs up and against it, it will definitely abrade it. And so that does create the corrosion. And then eventually, if not taken care of, the corrosion then will lead to pitting and then from pitting you can eventually have leaking so yes we want to make sure that we can minimize that the other thing you mentioned earlier is you know water tanks have ladders on the inside of them for access to the tank that's one of the things ice loves the most to tear up is ladders because it hooks onto there and they're only welded on in certain places they're not solidly welded on and so it has a lot of surface area to grab a hold of and Pull on. Depending on the style of tank you have, right? So if you do have a legged tank um, or one of the old witches hat, yes, they're welded right to the roof of the tank and then down at the bottom and maybe they have a standoff to the sidewalls. But a lot of times in a standpipe, I've seen them in there where they will be welded with standoffs all the way down. And here again was the ice moves and it's clung to the walls because you're only a few inches off of the wall with your standoff. As the ice moves up and down and it grabs hold of that ladder, it will rip the ladder from the sidewalls. And then when you come the spring and you go to fill your tank up, you start to notice it leaking. Uh, so, you know, because sometimes a lot of operators will actually lower their operating water levels in the wintertime because water usage is usually at the lowest. And by doing that, they'll, they'll have the opportunity to uh, fill the tank more often. And by doing that, they're hopefully trying to minimize the ice. Springtime comes and then they fill it back up again and that's when they start to notice the leaks. 
You mentioned the riveted tanks a little earlier, because as we all know, as you said, water freezes and expands. How can that affect weld seams, rivet seams, different things like that? Well, it's still the same thing, right? But the rivet tank, because of the way they're put together, there is that overlapping area. And so if we get water in there and it starts to expand, that's what separates the seams. On the welds, it goes over it because they're usually a little bit rougher, which is why you put a stripe coat on in the coating things. We still get ice buildup in those areas as well. And that kind of ice as it starts to move up and down can start to fracture and start to hurt the steel. So we've talked about all the things that can happen on the inside of the water tank. What are the dangers of ice forming on the outside. So a lot of times what'll happen is, you know, it'll break a riser pipe, it'll break an overflow, it'll break a weld seam, and then you start getting water leaking on the outside of the tank and freezing, and what's the danger there? Well, what happens is the weight. So a lot of these tanks aren't designed to handle ice hanging off the side of the tank itself. We have, uh, it holds wind differently, and that can affect it. But yes, it's, when you have a telemetry system that maybe goes bad in the winter time or a pump forgets to shut off or for some reason it happens and you overflow your tank now we have ice uh, forming on the top of the tank you can then break hatches you can break overflows um, because ice will start to go down the overflow and then if it starts to expand in the overflow pipe because you have a flapper on there then all of a sudden you've broken your overflow pipe um, your vents can get completely sealed up your hatches can be ripped open uh, just from the ice forming and growing and expanding in those areas and then the worst case is it comes down the sides and it gets on the wind rods and it gets on struts and then you have a large amount of weight sitting on this one particular side of the tank and then uh, it's just not designed to handle that can do a lot of damage not to mention just the danger of the ice forming on it and the potential of it falling off the tank and landing on houses cars people that kind of stuff as well <laughs> that is true um, you know I was looking at a job last year where they had a break in their fill line and it just so happened it was right at the belly of the tank so now we have all this weight that has been weighing down on the fill line and got underneath the belly. Well, it also shoots out under water pressure. So as the water was shooting out, it was landing on the wind rods, it was getting on the struts, and it was getting on a leg. And as you're going to try to get it cleared up, ice starts falling. So next thing you know, you're roping the whole area off. If it's not fenced, and even then, uh, depending on how much land you have around there, the ice can slide off the roof of a tank, which is a good practice anyways. I mean, we have ice storms and everything, so we want to make sure that when you fence in an area, you do make it far enough that if ice were to slide off of the top of the tank or heavy pieces of snow, that it's not going to fall out into the public. So we've talked about all the things that ice can do, cold weather operations. We want to hone a little in on how do we prevent ice from forming, and what are the best practices in cold weather to say, these are the things I need to think about with my water tank, and these are some of the things I can do to help prevent ice from building and make sure that my system operates properly in the cold. Well, it depends on the style of tank you have, where it is located. It can depend on what kind of operations you need. 20% uh, turnover in the water tank, um, but at running at a lower operating levels may be just sufficient enough to make sure that we minimize ice in an area that uh, close to the water plant we're getting fresh water in. But if you have a large riser pipe and uh, fill line and you're not getting movement through there and you're just using that and more like a standpipe and not getting to the belly of the tank can be an issue. 
Because one of the things that is good to remember there in that 20% is that the demand is the least at night. And so that's one of the main reasons for dropping your operating uh, level is because at night when it's the coldest, when, when the most ice forms, that's the most dangerous time of the day because you're not using as much water in the system. Right. And so that's when your ice starts to form. So if operators have the ability to go during the day and start using the water, and then as the temperatures start dropping at night, they start filling it up with fresh water. So we're getting 50-some degree water into the tank during the cooler times and keeping that water fresh. We minimize the amount of ice buildup that can happen in that operating time. What are some of the other things we can do? Uh, Active mixing systems. Um, The difference between a passive mixing system is like when you're operating just you're running your pumps it's the only time you get fresh water in you get it moving an active mixing system would be a way to keep the water moving think about a fast moving river if water continues to move ice buildup is minimal i'm not saying you won't get any but maybe it'll be enough it'll minimize enough to where it doesn't create any real damage to the water tank uh, recirculating lines when you have thin uh, riser pipes six foot six inch eight inch uh, fill lines usually insulated. We want to make sure that that portion of it doesn't freeze. You can put a recirculating pump inside of those as well, just to make sure that that line doesn't get frozen as well. So it just depends on the style of tank you have, where it's located, and um, how much water you're actually going through. We go back to the scenario of the industrial plant that on the far sides of town that now, you know, business is down on. Well, you may want to keep an active mixing system in that because you may have a large riser pipe diameter and your water is just at the top. Uh, maybe it's a million-gallon composite tank where you just know that that water is getting in there and becoming stale and stagnant. And when we talk active mixing, an active mixing system is a mixer that goes in your tank that's powered all the time that is constantly pulling in water and shooting water out of it in some type of capacity or design to be able to keep your water moving 24 hours a day. Correct. It makes a homogenous zone all the way through. So instead of the temperature falling down into the 30s and starting to get some ice, um, if you continue to mix fresh water in there and keep it moving and active, it may keep a homogenous, may turn your water temperature in the 40s and keep it above the freezing line. Um, So, but like a recirculating pump would do the same thing, right? By keeping water moving is is the key to it. So if we can change our operating levels if we can, right? Because we know that we have to maintain specific pressures. And part of that is is always the key. So operators would love the ability to run that down lower. But back to our fire scenario, if I have to maintain X in the case of an emergency, um, you may not have the ability to lower it down. The active mixing system may be your solution there. Another thing that you mentioned a little earlier is insulation and frost jacketing on riser pipes. And this isn't just based on one style of tank. Talk about how important insulation and frost jacketing is. Oh, it, it can be very key. Just keeping the wind shear off um, will be uh, something that would be important. So insulation is typically used on just fill lines. Um, and it's important on whether it's an exterior, maybe the you'll call, call them the old witch's hat or cone top tanks, right? Where the fill line is all the way up and is exposed. 
But even inside a pedosphere tank, that fill line can be insulated and should be insulated going up into the belly of the tank because it's still cool air will sit in there. We want to minimize the ice. Uh, people can use heat tape as well, but that gets fairly expensive and it's really tough. You can put water inline water heaters in the tank. But when we start looking at some of those things, we also have to look at energy costs. Yeah, exactly. Electricity costs make a difference. Too. Right. So, you know. Uh, active mixing system is more like running off a 120, 15 amp breaker and things like that. It's a usually fairly It's like minimal, running a toaster oven most of the day. Most of the day. Yeah. Exactly. Three 90 watt light bulbs or something like that. But if you end up trying to put in a heat hot water system, those are very, very, very energy um, not efficient, I guess is the best way of saying it. Also, we talked a little bit about um, the water monitoring. How important is that? And that that's a fairly new technology to water tanks where you an operator can say, okay, my, my water in this tank in, the, in this area is 45 degrees, so I'm okay. I think as SCADA systems start becoming more involved, um, they start putting different things in there, like the water temperature, chlorine residuals, and things like that. We start finding ways of increasing the amount of data we're getting through our SCADA systems. Uh, but not all communities have them, right? Because Correct. they can be fairly expensive. And so when it comes to what size and style, obviously the, the larger communities have a little bit additional uh, funds that they can start investing in um, to do some of those things. But water temperature, chlorine residual are always keys that, that you could put into your SCADA system. So we've talked about the prevention. How do we go about running our system better in cold weather? What happens if, you know what, something happened and now my tank is frozen up? What what are my options now that we've gotten to this point? Well, McGuire Iron has come up with a few ways that we're able to go and unthaw water tanks. And so we go up there and we assess the situation and we just come up with a variety of different things. And um, so it is kind of interesting, but you want to go and look at each situation and you want to try to evaluate it and make sure that you're doing what's best for the water tank and the water system to create a way of getting the water moving again. And where is the blockage before we start trying to diagnose? So the biggest thing that you're saying for operators is to, to follow those simple steps, but more than anything, just to be vigilant about your your air temperatures and just doing a good check on your pressures and making sure that you know, you're operating your tank the most efficient way you can, knowing that it's cold outside. Absolutely. If you're checking your pumps and you're starting to see that you're seeing a change in flow rates out of the pumps, um, it could be that now you're starting to see a change in the pressures, right? So um, if all of a sudden you're starting to notice that your flow rates are a little bit lower or your pumps are cycling different, um, that is definitely one of the things that you want to pay attention to um, and the frequency of those pumps. All right, Jamie Mays, the Director of Sales for McGuire Iron, thanks for joining us on today's podcast and helping us understand cold weather operations in your water tank. Thank you. Have a great day. Remember, you can always connect with us by going to our website, mcguireiron.com. You can ask questions by sending us an email at info at or you can follow or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us on the McGuire Iron Podcast.